Hello and welcome to episode 210 of the Five Sports Podcast. Carly Davis and Darren Zaslow with you in a very exciting month here in the Mountain State. It is March. We want to thank Trinity head coach Rick Hill for joining us for episode 9. But coach, gotta put you to the back burner because March Madness is here. West Virginia men's basketball is headed to the NCAA tournament as a three seed playing Moorhead State on Friday. West Virginia women's basketball is headed to the NCAA tournament as a four seed and they will play Lehigh on Sunday. Darren, it feels like Christmas. This is so exciting. It's Christmas, it's Hanukkah, it's Kwanzaa. I'm sure I'm missing some other big time holidays, but whatever holiday that you celebrate, even if you don't celebrate a holiday, uh, that's what time this is uh, of year. This is all in one. Mountaineers 30th trip for the men's team to the NCAA tournament. And we surely hope it's one to remember, right? Yeah, definitely. And someone who had a firsthand seat at the Mountaineers last week and has some insight for us is our next guest, episode 10 of the pop. For episode 10 of the Five Sports Podcast, we are pleased to be joined by ESPN play-by-play broadcaster, for college football, college basketball, and the New York Jets, don't forget the Jetropolitans, Bob Bushus. Bob, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. No, thank, uh, no problem. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm sure your vocal cords are just getting adjusted after you know calling eight games in four days at the Big 12 tournament. I saw that you tweeted that it was your first live basketball of the year. So, what was the adjustment from? calling games in your house to calling, you know, some great basketball in Kansas City for last week? Uh, it was a nice adjustment in that there was no adjustment because it was what we normally do. So the fact that I was actually back in a building with players in front of me instead of, you know, six inch tall players running back and forth on a screen was a welcome change. Believe me, uh, it was nice, really nice to be back at a sporting event where the athletes were right in front of you. So, Bob, one of those games that you were on the call for, you got to be groomed in nicely with, in our humble opinion, was the wildest game of the Big 12 tournament. Number four, West Virginia. Number five, Oklahoma State. A game with so many things that go on. You have Derek Culver one minute with a towel over his face, on his back, looking like he may never play basketball again. You have a game that comes down to the wire where Shaw McNeil makes a three. It doesn't count. They lose 72-69. What were your impressions of that wild basketball game? What was it like being on the call for that? Well, it was pretty much like run of the mill for the Big 12, which tells you how fun the Big 12 is. Um, you know, later that same day, we called Texas, Texas Tech last game of the day. And Matt Coleman made two foul shots with under two seconds to go to win the game. Uh, the Baylor-Oklahoma State game was crazy. Um, you know, so we... We're blessed in that league that that's, I mean, every game we had on Thursday felt like that. Even Kansas State, who was a bottom three team in the league and below 500, you know, someone had to emerge from their game with TCU and play Baylor on Thursday. And yet they were right in the game with three minutes to go or two minutes to go. So, um, yeah, but that the, the West Virginia game was, it was, Run of the mill for the Big 12, but only because the Big 12 was awesome. And it, there was a lot of twists and turns in that game. It was fun. I think no better way to highlight how awesome the Big 12 is, is that 70% of their teams are headed to the NCAA tournament. 
seven of them. We, you just mentioned most of them. Let's see if I can remember off the top of my head. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Baylor, Kansas, Texas, Texas Tech, West Virginia. Uh, yeah, they're all there. And none <laughs> of them even went to the Big 12 tournament wondering if they were going to make it. Yes. I mean, they were all locked. You know, normally there's a bubble team or two. Somebody's the last four in, the first four out. Are they going to make it? They have to win a game at the Big 12 tournament. I mean, Oklahoma could have lost to Iowa State on Wednesday night, and they were still automatically in the tournament. That's just how good the league was. How rare is that, that, you know, they all headed in knowing that they were going to be there um, this year? Yeah, rare um, for – you know, a team to have no bubble teams is very odd. Um, even the Big Ten, which everyone probably would say was, I think based on just sheer volume of teams, the best league in the country. Um, they had the Michigans, the Ohio States, the Illinois, the Iowas right up at the top of the, you know, top 10 all year, along with Baylor and, you know, some of the other Big Ten, uh, Big 12 teams that made an appearance. Oklahoma got as high as number seven and, you know, obviously, you know, you, you, even West Virginia made a, you know, a couple of appearances towards the top of the poll. Um, but Michigan State was very much a bubble team right down to the end. Um, so, and they made it, but, you know, there, there are always a couple of teams where you're wondering what do they have to do, you know, uh, in their conference tournament? What work do they have to get done to make the field? And the Big 12 had none of that. Just the, the depth of play and the quality of play was so good. And I think got such respect from all the pollsters that it was just a no-brainer that, that those seven teams were all going to be in. You know, Bob, and, and that's what Bob Huggins said this week in his presser, um, that <laughs> playing in the Big 12 is going to help the Mountaineers win or lose because of the competition. And he said that Moorhead State, West Virginia's first-round opponent in the, in the tournament, they didn't play people like that in the Ohio Valley Conference. That's just how it works. What are your general thoughts on this Mountaineer team? It's an offensive team that can score a lot of points. They can also go through a seven-minute lull where they, you know, get really outscored by Oklahoma State 23-5 to from the 12-41 mark to the 5-43 mark. That was the difference in that game, in my opinion. Your thoughts on this team, can they make a run in your eyes? They definitely can make a run. I think the reason they can make a run is how rare what you just described happened to them this year. Like the MO for the last decade with West Virginia is they will defend the heck out of you. They will rebound. They will turn you over. They'll basically just be like the mosquito you can't knock away and annoy the heck out of you and maybe pull one out. But at some point during the game, they're going to have a drought like that. Mm -hmm. Like even when they had, you know, the Javon Carter team, they would go five, six, seven, nine minutes a game where they would have one of those really bad droughts. And this team doesn't do that. That was really rare for them. This team is much more built on offense. Um, they, they scored at a much higher and I think more consistent and efficient rate than we're used to seeing out of West Virginia. And to me, if I were to pick the kind of team that I would want to take into the NCAA tournament, I would rather have that than what Hugs has had in the past. I would rather have a team that I know when it comes right down to it can just go flat out, outscore you, than necessarily have to count on, all right, we're having that seven-minute drought, but we're going to get five steals and bust our way out of it. 
And not that those other teams that he has had haven't been great. I mean, they were so much fun to call and watch and so intense. And uh, But this team, these are shot makers. And they've got, you know, three or four guys that at some point when they, when called upon can all step up and make a shot. And obviously Culver is a, you know, a double-double waiting to happen in the middle as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I think they're really, really dangerous. Um, what player were you most impressed with uh, that you got to see in person for the first time this week from West Virginia? Well, I'm, you know, obviously the, the two guards, you know, I mean, they, they can change a game, uh, you know, Deuce McBride, um, you know, I mean, we've been watching him all year, but he was exactly what I expected. I think not even so much in, in person, but watching the second half of the year, how Taz Sherman has I think grown more and more confident and kind of become that real Robin to Deuce McBride's Batman. We know that McNeil can make big threes when called upon, but Taz showed, I think that much like Deuce, he can get his own shot and take the game over himself when he needs to. And it's rare in college basketball to have two guys that can do that. You know, everybody you know, a lot of teams around the country have a McNeil that you can point to. There's our spot-up shooter. And if we create for him and get him a look, especially with a seat fet, feet set, he's going to make it. But it's rare, I think, to have more than one guy that you can just put the ball in his hands and say, just go get it yourself. We're not going to set anything up for you. You just go make it happen. And West Virginia, for the first time in a long time, has two of those guys. I think. And I think Taz has become that second guy to deuce. How about your biggest concern? Um, obviously, the last time the Mountaineers were a three seed, it, it didn't go very well. Um, they were upset by Stephen F. Austin. And that game is like the plague when you when you talk about that <laughs> here. Yep. Um, and Thomas walk up and scoring over 30 points. Hugs has said it's defending the straight line drive and it's rebounding. And those two things are pretty evident um, against Oklahoma State you think he's right or any other concerns about this team that you have? Sure. Yeah. I mean, this is not the defensive team that we've seen in the past. Like there's a yin and a yang, right? I mean, this is not, you mm -hmm. know, press Virginia. This is not like we're having one of those five or six minute droughts. So we're just going to go, you know, destroy you with our defense, turn the ball over and, and we can flip the script based on our D that's not what this group does. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's no, it, in a six game run, where you now somebody out there is going to shoot the ball well for six straight games. And that team's going to be in the final four, maybe win the national championship. Mm -hmm. um, that can be them, but the odds say it won't, right? Because there's going to be, you know, 60 other teams that are all going to be sitting at home going, if we were only, if we were the team that, you know, had our guards go crazy, like this team is lucky enough to have. So you're just hoping in that one and done situation that those guards do what they can do. Um, because all three of them have to score. I mean, I, you know, I know McNeil is not what the other two are in terms of creating his own, but he's going to get looks. And if he doesn't knock them down, you know, they, they'll go home. I mean, it's, you know, a lot of times we sit here and go back and forth and back and forth over X's and O's. I mean, it does really come down to make, making shots, right? I mean, you're going to have teams are going to make shots, and if they make their shots, they can beat anybody. Yeah. And I think that's pretty evident with West Virginia. If they make shots, they'll win the game. Huggins said it's the worst defensive team he's ever had. Now, I don't know if he actually meant all those words that he said, but <laughs> I, I know the guys took it quite personally. 
Um, and on that note, when I guess it was the day after you guys were there, Huggins was not named the finalists for the Hall of Fame. What was your reaction to that? You know, all of the other guys at the top of the all-time wins list with him are guys that have won national championships. And he hasn't. Now, to be fair, he's never coached at a place where he's gotten the one-and-dones, the McDonald All-Americans, the NBA guys. I mean, that's not what he does. He turns guys into NBA players from nothing. Right. Like who the hell was Javon Carter before hugs got him? And he made him into the undrafted guy that you can't cut just because he's going to not allow you to cut him just because he's going to work his tail off because that's how he's been taught to play. So when you look at the Shashevskis and the Williams and, the, and, you know, and the, the, uh, you know, the Bayheims, those guys are recruiting McDonald's all Americans and they've won some national championships because of that. I personally don't think that the job that Hugs has done should be looked at in any lesser way, in my opinion, almost should be admired more that at places like Cincinnati and West Virginia, he has been able to accomplish what he's been able to accomplish in power leagues against some of the best teams in the country to win 900 games in your career when you're getting you know, kind of the Island of Misfit toys, right? Like you're bringing in these guys that are cast-offs at times from other programs, or you're rolling the dice on a kid you believe in, like Deuce McBride. And Deuce McBride was going to go to Clemson or Alabama maybe and be their quarterback. And then he fractures his foot. They thought his whole career was over. And Hugs brought him in having no idea if he was going to be able to play long-term. He offered him a scholarship before he even played his senior year of high school, knowing whether or not he could even, you know, be yeah. on basketball court again. Yeah. And now he's one of the best players in the Big 12. So, you know, to me, I think what Huggins has done with the players that he's capable of recruiting to the programs that he's run is every bit, if not more impressive than what the other coaches have done at the top of the list because of the level of talent that their programs will bring in. You know, I... He's a Hall of Famer. There's no question. And ultimately, he's going to get in. He probably just needs one of those years to come along where there aren't four, five, six other slam dunk guys at the top of the list. So ultimately, he'll get in there. You know, and maybe this will be the year where they make the miracle run and Taz and Deuce go crazy and they, they shoot their way to the Final Four and get in the championship game, win a national championship. Who knows? If you, I mean, if they do that, you know, it's crazy to me that you need a six-game run in March Madness to prove you're a Hall of Famer. And the 30 years of winning all these games doesn't do it. To me, he's a Hall of Famer. But I think that's probably the one thing that his resume is missing that might be the breaking point for guys, putting him on the ballot, but not necessarily thinking it's time to vote him in. And Bob, to your point, speaking of McDonald's All-Americans, West Virginia's only had you know two of them in, in program history, right? With Oscar Sheboy leaving, boom, he leaves during the non-conference schedule. And the team is better, substantially better. If you asked me when he left, I'd be like, no, this team isn't going to do what it did. Um, do you think it could be the next ballot? Do you th- like you mentioned, do you think that this tournament could push that trajectory one way or the other in regard to him getting in sooner rather than later? If, if he wins the national championship, <laughs> then I would think that would probably be, yes, the, you know, the thing that would push him over the edge 
in the minds of voters. It shouldn't be, but to me, that would probably be like that last feather in the cap necessary. Mm -hmm. You know, if we played your speech about Huggins here on our station, everyone would give you an Emmy <laughs> just just for saying all those things about Huggins. <laughs> well, I, you know, and, I, and I'm certainly not the only one out there saying it. Yeah. You know, I mean, in the in the world of college basketball, um, you know, just ask the other coaches that he coaches against what it's like coaching against them. They don't like it. I mean, they respect him. They love him. You know, he's probably one of the most misunderstood guys in college basketball. There's a handful of them that when I watched them on television all those years, had an impression of what they were like. And now that I'm calling his games, which means I'm at some shoot arounds these days in a zoom, but you know, you do get a chance to, to talk to him away from the court and he's not anything like you would expect him to be when you're watching him on the sideline. He's just one of the driest sense of humor, best guys in the world to talk to. So there's a soft spot, obviously for guys like us as well, where we were, we're hoping that the voters will ultimately understand and, and give him the recognition that he's due for what he's accomplished. Bob, I'm going to ask you an obligatory question that a lot of Mountaineer fans want to know what it's like working with Dan Dockich. If you've worked with him, Mountaineer fans watching games with him on the call, he takes some heat, sometimes understandably so. He's very hard with, with his color analysis. He's very hard yes. on this team. Obviously, we know, you know how he left and, and you know the bridges that he's sort of burned. Is he this guy that people hate on Twitter? Is it, is it deserved? And just what's it like working with him? I feel like Mountaineer fans want to know what this guy is actually like behind the scenes. The, pretty much exactly what he's like on the air is what he's like. <laughs> like he doesn't hide his personality. Uh, I love him. I've loved working with him when I've had the chance. Before I shifted to the Big 12, probably about – I guess it's like five or six years ago. It probably was when I first kind of regularly started on the Big 12. Um, I was five years or so Saturdays in the Big 10. And I was with, with Dan pretty much all those years, uh, most of those times. And um, when you kind of close your eyes and picture like a college basketball analyst, I'd love to sit down and have a beer with and just shoot the breeze and have laughs with, you probably picture Dan Dockich. And I'll tell you, Reality is, yes, that's exactly the way he is. I mean, he's the guy you want to sit down and have a beer with the Friday night before the game and, like, shoot the breeze. I mean, he's – we had a lot of laughs. Every time I'm with Dan, I laugh. And so if you can say that every time you're with someone, you're laughing, then how bad of a guy could that guy be? True. I mean, we have one personal friend that has gone back and forth with him on Twitter – during a game so i mean yeah. that's great multitasking if you can tweet during the game while you're doing yep. it dan is uh dan is not shy about sharing his opinion and you know <laughs> sometimes on twitter it doesn't come along with the same smile and tone of voice that it would if you're sitting across from him having one of those arguments but yeah he's he's a blast to hang out with yeah um, you mentioned that you segued from the Big Ten to the Big 12. We just want to chat a little bit about how you got to where you are today um, from Boston College, joining ESPN in 2005. And you're with the Jets still since 2002, which I'm from New York. So um, I automatically felt the connection. Just how did you get from Boston College and I guess from your hometown to where you are today? 
Um, I, it's funny. I'm one town over from my hometown. I mean, I'm, I, I'm living right now about two miles away from where I grew up. Um, yeah, I was an intern. I mean, every, every time I'm in a situation where I'm talking to young people in college and whatnot, and they're asking, how do you get into this business? My advice is always the same. If you can find an internship that lets you get your foot in the door, then that's a great way to do it. So I did a couple of internships right out of college. The guys I interned for knew of a job in Miami. I moved down there, did, worked at an all-sports radio station in Miami uh, for about two and a half, three years. Got an opportunity to come back to New York to work for one of the guys that I interned for at WFAN in New York was there for six or seven years, and I've just always been in New York ever since. Um, so it's been a combination of WFAN and MSG television, where I did Rangers and Knicks play-by-play and hosted talk shows and did studio shows for them. And then the play-by-play with the Jets that came along while I was at the Garden as well. The combination of that and, uh, and doing some local football and whatnot, uh, was able to get my foot in the door at ESPN and just kind of grown since then. And that was I don't know. I guess I've been at ESPN now 16 or 17 years. So that's, that's kind of the timeline from say when I got out of college in 1993 until now. So that means that you were on the call for the most iconic moment in New York jet Republican football history, which is the Mark Sanchez butt fumble. I was, <laughs> I was, Guilty. do you remember? Yeah, we all, we all remember it. We all remember uh, it's Mark on ESPN's what not top 10 for however long being number one. Did you realize that it was the butt fumble when it happened and, and just what the call was? Because that everyone knows that moment. Even yeah. I, I think I said, are you kidding me? I, I there was no other words that could come to mind when the Patriot player, I think it was Steve Gregory picked it up and ran it back for a touchdown. Yeah. I mean, you clear as day, so I'm run right into the backside of, <laughs> of, the, of the Jets' right guard. It was kind of hard to miss. So, I mean, he didn't miss him, but I saw it from the press box. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The West Virginia tie to the Jets is their third – I guess he's entering his third-year tie in, Trayvon Wesco, who actually – I saw at the Coliseum um, he was at two games. Uh, what are your impressions of him and – G- Gase was really um, complimentary of him in the preseason um, and obviously things didn't really pan out the way he thought. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's a hard player to get a read on because their offense has really struggled. Um, you know, he's a hybrid kind of a player where sometimes he's a tight end. Sometimes he's a fullback. Um, you know, he's a good blocker. And even though that's probably not something that ever draws the eyes of any fans that's something that draws the eyes of coaches so could he have a career in the NFL I don't know if he's going to stick with the Jets maybe he will Um, but as kind of like one of those soldiers you need on your team to go out and do an unheralded job that's what he's doing right now Um, and you know and good for him because there are a lot of guys that were the star of their college team that put up numbers in college and when he was healthy he certainly put up numbers in college as a pass catcher but they don't necessarily embrace what they have to do at the pro level to stick. And right now he seems to be embracing and understanding the job he has to do at the pro level to have a job, right? Like he's not going to be Gronk. And I think he's kind of understanding that, you know, you, you might've been able to show flashes of that in college football, but in the NFL, you need to do, you know, the grunt work to, to make a living. And, and I think he's getting that. So I'm, I'm rooting for him. I hope he keeps doing that. 
We've heard rumors of Juju Smith-Schuster going to the Jets, and I don't know if you've seen him, but I think he dyed his hair like a, a bluish green. <laughs> At least that's what I've seen with him on TikTok. Right. So it would fit in perfectly with your color scheme. Have you heard that as well? What a pickup that would be if, if those rumors are true, huh? Yeah, my, my impression is that he will not be a Jet, if I had to guess. Um, you know, they just signed Corey Davis yesterday for a decent amount of money they've got denzel mims they're going to have a lot of draft choices and this is a again a very heavy wide receiver draft so i, I my my gut tells me that they're not going to go out and throw a pile of money at another free agent wide receiver because they and also because they need so many other things i mean if they're going to continue to hit free agency i think they're going to check other boxes other than wide receiver but uh yeah, I mean, the thought of reuniting Juju and Sam Darnold is like a nice thought. They were teammates when Darnold had his best year at USC. Mm-hmm. So I could certainly see why, you know, a Jet fan might want to see Sam throwing a Juju again. Uh, but I think Corey Davis kind of ate up the money that maybe they were allocating uh, to, to a free agent wide receiver. Maybe he'll just dye his hair a different color and start another bunch of rooms. Sure. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm sure he's got the ability to do that. <laughs> what are some of the other needs that you think that the Jets need to address um, in this time? Well, getting Carl Lawson helped. So they've got a wide receiver and they've got an edge rusher. And those are two things that they really need. I mean, they need another edge rusher. But again, I'm, I don't think they're going to be able to uh, empty their bank account to get a second one. Um, interior offensive line, uh, linebacker, corner is certainly a need. Um, and, and really it all comes down to the decision they make with the quarterback, you know, what are they going to do at quarterback? Because if you decide that you're going to stick with Sam Darnold, you could mortgage that second pick and probably get a boatload from someone else for that second pick and continue to add to your team that way as well. So in terms of free agency, um, you know, I, I would expect that they'll continue to probe the, uh, the interior offensive lineman again, not the sexiest thing to talk about, but they need it because, you know, they, they, their offensive line has been at the bottom of the league for a while. I mean, how could they not go for a quarterback in, in this deep of a draft at that position? And, yeah, they, you know, it, right. it, it is, it's very possible. Um, I feel bad for Sam because I feel like he's been hung out to dry for three years with no help. And my heart wants to see, because he's such a good kid. I mean, he's everything you want the face of your organization to be. He is... He's got a heart of gold and his parents are super people and he was raised the right way. And you don't have to worry about him being in the VIP at two in the morning. I mean, he's, he's never going to embarrass you. He's always going to say the right thing, takes it all on his shoulders. And he's been hung out to drive for three years. And I, I would like to see him get some help. I think he deserves that, but you have to pay him as well. And so while my heart tells me that I would like to see, Sam get a chance with some help. My head tells me that uh, if you think any of these rookie quarterbacks are going to be on his level uh, or a tick better, you probably start over because you can reset the financial clock. And that's a big, big deal in the NFL. You get four years now of not having to pay your quarterback. Whereas you'd have to pay Sam next year if you kept him. Um, You know, so that's, that is the business of it that is a major factor in this decision. 
Yeah, definitely going to be interesting. I mean, I listen to WFAN every day on my Alexa, so I, I get a dose of Jets and Giants and everything. There you go. Craig Carden's opinion and everything. Pro day here at West Virginia is on Thursday. Um, so if any Mountaineers become Jets, we'll be sure to send you the insight. That'll be good. That'll be good intel. I'll appreciate it. <laughs> Um, before we let you go, every podcast that we have um, on our five sports podcast, we end with a high five, which is just five rapid fire questions to get to know you a little bit better. I know we've schooled you on Mountaineers, college basketball, Jets, uh, but this is a little off the cuff, although my first question will be related to college basketball, so I'll go first. All right. Out of the seven Big 12 teams in the NCAA tournament, which is most likely to make the final four? Well, I mean, the chalk would be Baylor. Right. But I, based on what I saw, not just because they won the tournament, I would say Texas. I think Texas with their athleticism on the front line and how their guards are playing, they're really dangerous. You quote yourself something very important on Twitter, which is a Disney diehard. Okay. I'll give you a a seven day trip to Walt Disney world in Florida. We're not going to Disneyland. What hotel are you staying at? And what is the first ride that you are going on? I'm a big swan guy, personally. Where are you going and what ride are you going on? The boardwalk is our home. That's where we uh, go every time we go. That's where we go. And um, I would say that walk over to Epcot to get on Soren with a beer in my hand is like the happiest walk in the world. So that, that would be where I would go. I loved. I did the Disney half marathon last year, and we went to Epcot afterwards, and that, that was awesome. Yes. Uh, favorite play that you've ever? I know it's a cliche question to ask a broadcaster, but we just—it's <laughs> fine. Uh, favorite play that you've ever called? Uh, probably Sean Green's run to kind of ice the jet win over the Patriots when they were 19 point underdogs or whatever they were when they went up to Foxborough and and what's been a while I mean we're going back <laughs> over a decade now but uh but that was a lot of fun that was the Rex Ryan iconic defense right sure. that year? yeah that was the Bart Scott can't wait game that was you know no one thought they had lost to the Patriots like I want to say 45 to 3 on Monday night football like six weeks earlier Mm-hmm. But then they rallied and made the playoffs and went back to New England and won. So that was fun. And Sean Green, did he go to Iowa? Was it Iowa? Was Iowa. Yep, yeah. I remember right, Iowa. Yeah. He came straight out of nowhere. Uh, to build off of that, what's your your iconic call? Is it onions? Is it um, <laughs> the band is on the field? Do you have one? I feel like no. play by play, guys. Yeah. I don't. I say, I don't know. I mean, people have told me, I say, that's a Jets touchdown. Like when they score, I guess maybe, I don't know. Is that it? I, <laughs> I don't have like one of those T-shirt phrase calls. I, I just call the game. You know, I mean, I think some people adopt like a persona when they call the game. I, I was always kind of a believer that no one's listening to the game for me. They're listening to the game for the game. So why would I make it about me? Make it about the game. Like I'm just documenting the game. Mm-hmm. So that's always, now hopefully I enhance it and make it more fun and make it listenable and people like what they hear. But I've never sat around like with a pad you know, scribbling down like catchphrases that then I would use to maybe put on a bumper sticker. I just, you know, that's, so I don't really have one of those. Yeah. I was watching the WVU Oklahoma state highlights last night 
to, to see if you had any, and I didn't hear any. I just heard no. his names. Just call the game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My last question of our high five out of left field. You're a Jersey guy, and you've been in New York for a while. What's your go-to bagel spot to give me a slice of home today? Oh, well, we got a really good bagel spot in my town, Cranford. Cranford's best bagels, you know. But, I mean, as you know, you travel anywhere in, like, a 50-mile radius of New York City, they know how to make a bagel. Yeah. So everybody's got a bagel spot in their town that makes a bagel the right way. So, yeah, like, when I go to the South, you know, I realize we don't do barbecue the way they know how to do barbecue. But then when you're up where we live, yeah, bagels and pizza, you realize the rest of the country doesn't know how to do bagels and pizza. Trust me, living in West Virginia, I've learned that quite the hard way. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Hey, real quick, what are you going to be? Is, is this your off season with, with the NCAA tournament? I know what it, it's not on ESPN, so I, I you won't be calling games, right? Yeah, it's, that's the hardest part of being an ESPN college broadcaster is you do the games the whole year. And then when the whole country gets wrapped up in the tournament, other guys that haven't done college basketball the whole year get to kind of like parachute out of the clouds and pick <laughs> up, you know, and, and those are the games that everybody pays attention to. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll do some talk shows. And yeah. in May, we have, I was part of the golf coverage last year at the PGA for ESPN. So I'll do that. Um, but believe me, I'm, I'm fine taking a break. I've done, I've done games every weekend since the last weekend of August, you know, and we were blessed to do them this year because we didn't think for a while last summer we were going to have college sports. Yeah. So the fact that we got college sports to do the last thing I would do is complain about working every weekend. But once you've worked every weekend for, you know, and, and for seven straight months, it, it's okay to have a weekend off. Or unless True TV says, hey, we, hey, Bob, I, I know you'll be asleep by 9.50 when the Mountaineers take on Moorhead State, but we need you. I'll be there. You'll wake up. I would, yeah, <laughs> I, would, I would show up. <laughs> Bob, we really appreciate the time and sharing your insight on what you saw from the Mountaineers and everything. So um, hopefully we'll see you at a game in person sometime and not over Zoom, uh, but we really appreciate it. Thank you. Me as well. Thanks, guys. Thank you. We want to thank you for joining us for episode 10 of the Five Sports Podcast with ESPN play-by-play announcer Bob Wischusen. He gave us some great insight on the Mountaineers, the Big 12 landscape, and even the Jets and a slice of home for your girl. Be sure to um, check out the video version of our podcast on our website, WDTV.com. And of course, in audio form on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we will see you on episode 11.